With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Pad up. It's the Australian Cricket Podcast. And here are your hosts. That'll be 150. Lovely news, that. Welcome to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Manners, and this is the 150th episode of the podcast all about Australian cricket. I'm so thrilled to have made it to 150 episodes, and this week I have three guest panellists joining me for this special occasion. Now, the first panellist is self-described as a musician, anarchist, cricket pundit, podcaster, friend, and gamer. Now, I just searched through his Twitter feed for a little way down, I found this from last week, and it says, Kane Williamson is life. Hashtag South Africa for New Zealand. Hashtag stranded. Welcome back to the show, Kiwi Bob Williamson. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> pleasure to be here. Thanks for having us, Menace. Um, what can I say? That's slightly embarrassing now. Um, it's your Twitter, buddy. You wrote it. <laughs> yeah, it probably, probably does need an update. But what a pleasure to be here celebrating the highs and lows of Australian cricket. And for uh, long may it continue, let's bring up the double tonne. Yeah, definitely. Plenty more shows to come. Now, uh, returning is a sports writer and all-round sports junkie who recently had a commentary stint and punctuated his commentary by saying about Tom O'Donnell, bat left or right-handed. So, Gav, what about Tom O'Donnell? Do we know? Does he bat left or right-handed now? Well, if you read an interesting article that was published during the week, they're talking about how batsmen can bat with both hands. Um, so I think Tom O'Donnell was the start of it. I know bat with both hands or yeah. bat from both sides? Uh, bat with both hands. Well, okay. Uh, most bats would bat with both hands. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the show, Gav. How are you, buddy? I'm well, Matt. Good to be in transit. I'm back up to Queensland next week, but doing yes. a lot of A-series and keeping an eye out on some of the young cricketers. And <laughs> returning for his second show is a French and English broadcaster written and written sports journalist. He's a leading English-speaking expert on CEPAC TAC RAW. He's written on his Twitter feed, be prepared to learn about cricket on here, though. So he's a man of many talents. Drew Lilly, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Manus. Pleasure to be here. 
Now, you're our international panellist, but uh, look, I'm sorry to start off on, on this terms, but after the last show, you're on a pretty short leash. It, short leash. If you bring the English cricket team up at an inappropriate moment, I'm just going to turn your mic down while you're talking about them. Uh, so just wait for the right minute to talk about the English cricket team. I guess the same goes with you, Bob, about the Kiwi cricket team. But Kane Williamson. Oh, God, OK. I'm going to pull your mic out. Well, no, Drew, welcome back to the show. Thank you. English cricket. Well, we've got a massive show today. We've got lots of panellists. We're going to talk about the tremendous series victory in the One Day Internationals. We have a commentator critique. We have a sledging quiz. And we're going to finish it all off with our new Read and React segment. But let's start off with the Australian One Day side. They have sealed the series in Sri Lanka 4-1. It was closer than it actually appears. Most of the games were a lot tighter for Australia chasing. But I want to ask all of you... Why is it that Australia can do so well on the subcontinent in one-day cricket but can't translate into the test form? Pitches probably have something to do with it. Uh, this series, I think... But the pitches were turning square in the one-day. square, but it's to... completely different. You're looking at just one day, you're getting 100 overs in a day. That's totally different when you come out and bat in the second day, the third day, the men around your bat. It's completely different. So that's one of the... And I think we have a lot of power hitters. Um, and sometimes power hitters don't really have to su- uh, succeed in the, in the longer format. They g- generally, in the longer format, you need people who uh, have to trust their defence, and that's what doesn't happen in the shorter format of the game. Exactly. You've got David Warner saying twice, or it might have been the captain. First it was Steve Smith saying it, and then David Warner said exactly the same thing. You know, you're going to go out there and there's a ball with your name on it. And you're thinking, well, great, you know, they're going out there thinking, I'm going to get out pretty soon. And if you're doing that in a test match environment, then you're going to get out for a low score. Whereas they came out for the the one-day internationals thinking, there's a ball out there with my name on it, but I'm going to get some runs before I do it. And they managed to get more runs than Sri Lanka did, simple as that. Yeah, it's um, all fair, fair points, I think. I mean, there's one thing I always uh, I keep going back to, which is the mentality, right? So the top couple of inches. And um, Gav and, uh, and Drew here hit the nail on the head. It's, it's one-day cricket, less fielders, you know. Um, it's much more structured. Um, so you can you know what's coming. There's less surprises. And two new balls are going to stay harder for a little longer up front, and they're not going to do quite as much. Um, so, yeah, and, and also just uh, on that, slightly different personnel as well. If you look through the teams, five or six different players who weren't involved in the Test Series, so they were coming in fresh, and Australia is a very confident one-day team. Yeah, it was a tremendous series victory, and I think it was built upon the bowlers, really. Australia had to chase in every game, and Australia's bowlers were able to restrict Sri Lanka in all but one of the games to very chaseable targets. So let's let's go back to the fourth one-day international where Australia wrapped up the series in Dambulla. John Hastings was the star, taking six for 45. He's only the seventh Aussie to get a six-foot in one-day international cricket, and Sri Lanka were all out for 212. And John Hastings has been just about our second-best fast bowler in the, in the one-day game this year. Absolutely dynamite stuff for him, going right back to the Tour of New Zealand and carried it on now, even after being out for a while with an injury. What a comeback. Yeah, he looked great through the big bash as well. Um, he's, he's, he's been a star, a real star. Like Gav said last week, I think um, you know, what we've seen with David Warner was just play to your strengths. You know? So you might think, oh, we're on the subcontinent, we need to play spinners. But uh, at Sunrise's Hyderabad, he went for his quicks, he backed his quicks, and I think he's done the same here. We saw with Bolland and uh, Stark and 
uh, Hastings all getting a run. And, and I think the return to form of James Faulkner as well has been pretty good. But yeah, Hastings was incredible with his cutters and just change of pace and just keeping the batsman guessing. Yeah, he's such a tall guy. He hits the deck hard. Now, it sounds like an understatement, but when you're actually doing that in the on a pitch that is slowing down those cutters, they're actually a lot difficult to hit. Um, if you look at John Hastings, if he bowls the same sort of length, it's quite easy to defend that. But when you're actually trying to score runs in the one-day format, that's when it brings the best out of John Hastings. So change of personnel, exactly what you sort of alluded to right at the start. Different personnel, but different format of the game. But his style of bowling, similar to James Faulkner, you bring him in. He bowls those cutters, really successful on those subcontinental style of pitches. Would Hastings be able to translate this form into the test Test arena, could he be the third quick behind Stark and Hazelwood? I don't know. Is he take enough wickets? The fact that we're saying he's six foot five, sixteen stone, and he will bustle in and get you know for a maximum of ten overs, maybe in a couple of spells, he will hit a good length, which is very difficult to get away. But in test match on test match wickets, particularly if there's not a, a whole lot of life in there, uh, it's really not going to work. People will just wait him out, and he'll get tired, and he'll stray down the leg side. They'll get runs off him. He's not a real wicket taking threat. But here he was really cramping them for room because as we say six foot five so his arms coming down from about eight feet in the air and all of a sudden that's a different angle it's more bounce on it that's like it's two minutes awkward. eight feet in the air <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah he could end up being very similar to like a, a clint mckay who didn't really get the chance with the red ball but with the white ball became one of the best bowlers in the world so australia was set 213 to win and it was one of the most amazing starts to any chase I've seen by the Australian side. We dashed to 100 after just 8.1 overs, which is the quickest ever Australia has got to 100 in a one-day international. It was amazing to watch. Aaron Finch was the chief destroyer. He smashed 15 off 18 balls, joining Simon O'Donnell and Glenn Maxwell as the record holders for the quickest ever half-centuries for Australia in one-day cricket. But he was... He was dead set on getting the world record. I think he had one or two balls to beat A.B. de Villiers' record, and he couldn't do it, which is such a shame. I'd love to have your man, Aaron Finch, as the record holder, Bob. You've always been a staunch defender of Aaron Finch, and he's certainly come through in this series. Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest, I was really confused uh, last year as to why people were, were sort of... I guess it was that, that uh, cluster of quality players at the top of the order. And uh, so Finch was, in a lot of people's minds, he was the one to miss out. But he just keeps racking up numbers, and he, he does it fairly quietly as well. Like, I mean, this, this innings aside, but um, he's, not the, uh, he's not the big, the big million-dollar man like David Warner or Steve Smith, so he tends to slip under the radar, but he gets it done. He's very smart about his cricket. If you look at back how he's batted in the initial overs, he realises only two men are out. So even if you've got the spinners bowling at you, if you, if you miss time one to a specific part of the ground, chances are you're not going to get caught. You're going to get away with it. And he takes that risk, and which is the right way to going ahead and batting in this sort of format. So it, it, you talk about technique and so forth. This is just very smart, calculated batting. Yeah, it's, it's playing the percentages, isn't it? Because you know, I mean, we, we can see with all five of these games, really, I mean, Sri Lanka's batted first. We haven't really seen how Australia would do um, opening the innings with, with the bat. But we have seen that after, say, 20 overs... Uh, scoring becomes much more difficult. And so uh, new ball, uh, field out, uh, field in, sorry. Um, that's the time to go for it. 
Yeah, Australia were in real trouble in this game. We lost three quick wickets after Finch went. Finch, Warner and then Kawaj's nightmare to a continued where Finch was given out LBW. He referred it. It was an umpire's call, so Australia lost their referral. Then Kawaj was given out LBW, which one that would have been saved had he had a referral left. So Kawaj was out. Australia lost three for 23. And George Bailey was out there joined by Travis Head. And then Head was bowled off a no ball for 13 and if he'd been out there you, th- you think Sri Lanka would have had a real chance but instead head made 40 off 60 and George Bailey shepherded Australia in really tough conditions to a great victory hit 90 not out of 85 balls uh, George Bailey the player of the series in this one day series and really has been so good under pressure the whole time and I think for the young players in the side coming through he's someone they should all look up to well, going back to what we said earlier, how on earth can we lose 3-0 in the Test Series and then we can totally turn it around? Oh, well, it's a change of personnel. And we mentioned that with the bowlers. The batsman as well, George Bailey, comes in, looks completely at ease, playing his sweeps and reverse sweeps, played the, the pitch, uh, wasn't afraid of... the. He wasn't going out there thinking, there's a ball with my name on it, I'm in trouble here. And he showed that in that innings there. And he faced, the, he faced twice as many balls as any other batsman, any other Australian batsman. And talking about, well, it's debates we've had before on this podcast. Should we have, you know, pick horses for courses and we should be having uh, specialists playing when we're on the subcontinent? Definitely. The, the impressive thing about George Bailey is that when you're trying to score runs, it's about finding a solution. Whatever the solution is. And each person has its own solution. Matthew Hayden playing the sweep shot. Steve Smith, you know, using his feet to get down the pitch. Uh, Alastair Cook did it so well in India, just playing the sweep shot again. George Bailey is a one... If Drew had said that, I'd have turned the mic down. Sorry, go on. (laughs) George Bailey has a solution. He's got no sort of past history about failing. He says, I've got to score runs. If I play reverse sweep first ball, that's fine. That's my method. And that's why he's succeeding. So perhaps, I think Rod Marsh has even stated that going ahead, looking at India six months down the track, that they will look at George Bailey very closely, and rightly so. Yeah, I totally up for that one. So Australia went 3-1 up in the series, moved to Palakelli for the final game of the one-day series. And this is where I think it's what I noticed, a nice tone in the Australian camp. They were really uh, desperate to win the series 4-1 after the uh, Gavia. No, I was just going to say before we go to Palakelli, how good was Dan Buller to have people sitting up on trees and watching yeah. the cricket? It was fantastic, wasn't it? Beautiful. I love it. Yeah, great ground, huge ground as well. One of the biggest grounds I've seen in Sri Lanka. And I think 15, they've got capacity 15, 20,000. They had 40,000 <laughs> the in there. game. Someone will be, that wouldn't happen in Australia. Well, uh, there you sure. go. One day cricket's definitely not dead in Dambula. Now let's move on to that fifth game in Palakelli. Australia were desperately keen to win the series 4-1. Australia started badly. Sri Lanka got off to a good start. And interestingly, in the press conference afterwards, David Warner was scathing in his criticism of the Australian bowlers, saying that they started off like a great attack. Now, that's a really strong comment to come out in the press conference. And I'm, I'm not sure it's actually that sensible, maybe, to call your bowling attack a great attack. 
Maybe you could say it in the dressing room. What do you guys think? No, it's because Mitchell Stark didn't take a wicket in the first over. Right, that's it. You're out. You're only as good as your last over. <laughs> I mean, he was serious, though, comparing them to a great attack. And I just thought maybe that's one of the first cracks in his captaincy in this series. You want to probably hold that sort of comment for the dressing room? Am I being, am I being too harsh? Maybe. I mean, it, it, I wasn't very impressed at all with, with the opening, with at least the first 15 overs. Um, in, in this most recent game last night, it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was sloppy. Stark was, Stark was his, um, very uncharacteristic in that he was reminding me of the Stark of two years ago. He was all over the place. Um, and uh, he was just searching a little bit. Maybe and David Warner will cop a few bounces in the net so yeah, in the next few days from probably, his fast bowlers and probably, a few sledges. Yeah, whether it's accurate or not, the question is, you know, should, it, should that be public or private? And um, I guess, I mean, that's... It's very hard for me to comment on that. I, I love to get the insight and I love to hear the honesty. And um, I'd much rather have a, the occasional slip up in a press conference than these old, robotic. tired, robotic. Yeah, I agree in that. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I think last time might have been Darren Lehman that they spoke about uh, Steve Smith not playing in Zimbabwe or where he came out. But that was at the target of the selectors rather than bowlers. But Aaron Finch did say that after those that second one day loss, that uh, Darren Lehman really got stuck into some of his. The players, so maybe it was something that Darren Lehman had done, and maybe it was just a method that David Warner wanted to put it out in public as well to show what kind of captain he is, whether that's yeah. right or wrong. Not sure, but at- well, some captains will call out players to fire him up. Yeah, you know? I Absolutely. do it on the show all the time. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's it. And the other thing is, you've had um, they've been, you know, they're not completely excluded from, from social media. They would have heard a lot of the feedback that came back from Australia after the Test Series, which was you overpaid, you know, entitled Muppets. Like, what are you doing? And uh, so it was a little bit of, hey, guys, look, to the Australian public, look, we are taking this very goddamn seriously now. The thing is, it came just as, you know, I'm sure we'll get onto this, the fact that Warner had finally got some runs in this series. Yes. And <laughs> he hits a ton and then goes, and the bowlers are bloody lousy, weren't they? <laughs> hey, hey, good job I was there. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, Australia did bounce back with the ball and they dismissed Sri Lanka for 195. Stark took three for 40. Head and Zampa took two wickets each. Uh, Travis Head got a controversial LBW. Off, uh, to Pereira that may have hit the inside edge of the bat. But what struck me was the amount of whining coming from the Sri Lankan commentary box about that one decision when if you don't have hotspot or snicko, then you can't really complain when there's no real clear deviation. But it was a good hour of Sri Lankan whining about that decision. Too much. Well, again, I go back to the, if you can't have different technologies for different series, it's got to be bulletproof. If you're going to have... Uh, a tracking system, then it should be used everywhere. We all know what BCCI thinks about it. They've come out again and saying we don't support the project, uh, projection of the ball. They feel it's inaccurate, but Snicko again. But then this goes back to the broadcasters. Now, 10 sports usually are not the best at processing some of these pictures. Oh, the well, bloody uh, Hawkeye takes about half an hour for them yeah, to get well, it. Yeah, but that's because... You go and make a cup of tea, yeah. come back and they give you the well, decision. Well, Channel 9 and Sky Sports in England are absolutely phenomenal. So it goes back to broadcasters, what kind of system they had. Now, remember, it's all about getting paid. ICC won't fund these, and that's one of the other big issues. So, mm. But going back, I mean, yeah, Sri Lankan commentators, I mean... What was it, Abbasingha and Arnold? They were just going off. Anyway... Uh, it's not the commentary critique, so I'll move on. <laughs> so Australia were chasing 196 to win. Again, George Bailey with 44 off 73, combined with David Warner to put on 132. That was the partnership that got Australia to victory after Wade and Kawaja went pretty early. 
David Warner's 106 of 126 balls was his third one-day century versus Sri Lanka and his seventh overall in one-day international cricket. And I think it was a really important innings for Warner because I was starting to have doubts about his ability to uh, perform with the bat and captain the side at the same time. Now, Steve Smith, from the very beginning when he was given the captaincy, displayed an immense ability to combine his captaincy with run-making. But David Warner, so far in the series, hadn't shown that. And, and look, it had been only a couple of games, so but it was certainly due and probably set the selectors' mind at ease a little bit. Yeah, I think playing at home help really helped Steve Smith as well. They had an established team playing in your home conditions, really good batting wickets we had, I think, two summers ago. That really helped too. But Warner, I think it was a fantastic innings. It just showed to me the way... Sorry, even in Sri Lanka in the Test Series, Smith was our top run scorer, despite the fact that the team was struggling. So, Well, I mean, for, I mean, David Warner could have just walked away from that you know, last game saying the tour's going to be over. But he stuck in. He wanted to score that 100, and full credit to him. Great victory for Australia. Man of the match was David Warner. Man of the series was George Bailey, as I discussed. Really good bounce back from the Australian one-day side. And now they move off to uh, South Africa for a one-day series starting next month. And the team was announced today. And interestingly, Lyon, Enrique and Kawaja have all been dropped. And in comes Tremaine, Worrell and many. So a few changes there. Obviously, Stark and Hazelwood unavailable. What about Kawaja, though? Six months ago, he was compared to Brian Lara and yeah. being mooted for number three in every format. And uh, he's looking like being, well, he's out, almost dropped from every format now. Pretty remarkable fall from grace for Kawaja, hasn't it? It's, um, it hasn't taken very long. So uh, hopefully he can bounce back, another good home season. And uh, I wish the same for Enrique's too. Like, I think he was called back into the squad a bit prematurely, but I think on form, he's definitely good enough to play for Australia. The other important, you spoke about selection, is I think it's good night for Nathan Lyon's one-day career. Moving ahead, I think Adam Zamp has secured the spot. In terms of off-spin bowling, we've seen Travis Head is more than handy. Glenn Maxwell can do the job. So going forward... And then you've got Cameron Boyce, um, yeah, Ashton absolutely. But yeah, it's, it's, exactly. In some really depth, in, especially in the shorter format of the game, I think now Nathan Lyon should be just asked to focus on the longer format, especially with that Tour to India coming up in the future. Perhaps three matches ago, uh, Lyon would have been thinking, I'm still in with a chance here because Head in the first couple of matches uh, was chucking the ball up and getting a lot of tap. He was not taking wickets. He was going for five or six and over. He played himself into form, so good that the selectors stuck with him. And towards the end, he was picking up wickets and obviously he's getting a lot of runs as well. So Head has sort of converted himself from... A T20 almost definite into one of the first picks now for the, the one-day team as well. And certainly moving forward on the subcontinent, I think he's a real chance for the Indian tour next year. And one of the real finds of this tour so far. Now let's move on to the sledging quiz. Let's leave Sri Lanka behind for a minute. And we've got a, our favourite segment, one of my favourite segments, the sledging quiz. And now, I've got to be honest, listeners, I'm sort of running out of sledges. Here's a problem. Firstly, some are so rude, I just... By the time you edit out all the bad stuff, there's just two words left. And there's some that are so bad and so abusive, I just, in my right mind, can't say them. And I've got to say, Bob, Adam Perore, a lot of the sledges come from him. He is a really nasty piece of work. He's let one go at Mark War that borders on straight abuse. I'd love to read it out on the show, but I think it would actually break iTunes. What is it with Adam Perore? Well, there goes New Zealand's reputation as the the gentleman of of world cricket. 
Yeah, don't hold back, man. Just let it out. <laughs> now I've got I've got six sledges, two each. The rules are: I'm going to start with Drew. They're all Ashes sledges because of Drew's visit. Uh, so this is when you can talk about the English cricket team. You can just relax. Can now. Drew can start on minus one since if they're all about the Ashes. <laughs> um, so we're going to. If if you don't know the answer, the next uh, panelist gets a chance to steal the point. Bob is coming last, so this is a big chance for Bob to run up the table. Nice early sledge from Minners there. <laughs> well, I got uh, Drew's sledge in early. I've got Gav's sledge in. Now, Bob, that's all, all of you sledged. Uh, now, question one. This is David Hooks versus someone. This is what they said to Hooks. When are your balls going to drop, Sonny? Hooks replied, I don't know, but at least I'm playing cricket for my own country. <laughs> now, that's a bit of a gimme, Drew. Who said that when to When are your balls in? going to drop, Sonny? It was Tony Gregg. Excellent. So Tony, one point to Drew. Uh, that was a true. True. Get, we're England cricketers. It could have been. Oh, hang on. Is it Robin Smith? Is it Alan Lamb? Is it Andrew Strauss? Is it? Yes. Yeah. It could have been a lot more than that. Yeah. Now, question two, Gab. You're on the spot here. Who said this to Paul Collingwood? You've got an MBE, right, for scoring 17 at the Oval. That's embarrassing. Is it Matthew Hayden? Afraid it wasn't, Gab. Uh, would you like to steal mm. the point, Bob? I probably would have gone Hayden as well. Um, but you don't have to. There you go, he said Hayden. Out. He said Hayden. Me, no, me, no, no, me, no, no. me, me, teacher, teacher, me, me. Come on, quick, Bob, give um, us a guess. Yeah, um, let's go. It was a really famous sledge. Was it? Yeah. Don't, don't, don't help him. Can I, have it? Can, I, can I hear it one more time? You've got an MBE right for scoring 17 at the Oval. That's embarrassing. I think it was actually seven that he scored, but he got an MBE. <laughs> uh, Justin Langer. Drew, Drew, who is it? That horrible man who stole Elizabeth Hurley from us, Shane Warne. Well, she's back now, so he's still in with the chance. (laughs) So 2-0 for Drew, the Pommies in front. Ah, here we go, Bob, you've got a chance to get off the mark. Who is Dennis Lilly talking about here? Blank Blank is the only fellow I've met who fell in love with himself at a young age and has remained faithful ever since. Who is Dennis Lilly talking about? Just pick anyone, 1, one to 11. Um, well, nowadays, I don't know what he was like as a younger man, but would it be both of them? Mm, I'm afraid not. Uh, anyone want to have a go at this one? Drew, Gav? Starting with B? Starts with B and D. Yep, a famous commentator. Well, this is not... Oh. Yeah, how many hints am I going to give? Okay, Jeff Boycott. Yes. So that's a point for Gav. So we've got two points for Drew, one for Gav... Zero for Bob. No surprises there. Question You're consistent, Bob. You. <laughs> Question four, Drew. This is some friendly fire. Who did Graham Gooch say this about? If it had been a cheese roll, it would never have got past him. It was the ball of the century. Again, bowled by Shane Warne. And it was Mike Gatting who was, who was out to it. Excellent. Drew, you know you're sledging. Very impressive. All right, Gav. This is Michael Vaughan sledging someone. He was welcomed to the crease with a gobfrill from a new Aussie captain. This is Vaughan's reply. Get back to the slips. Who do you think you are? Steve Waugh? Who was Vaughan talking to? Must have been Michael Clark. Ah, oh, he's a god, oh, Bob. Who was the captain after Steve Waugh? Wasn't Michael Clark, was it? No, but it was one it was a very good fielder, so I imagine he would have been in the slips from time to time. 
None other than Ricky Ponting. Excellent. Bob gets off the mark with a See, I just easy gave that a miss single... on purpose. I wanted Bob yeah. to get a point. He just gave me such a nice guy. <laughs> Scampers yeah. down the other end. and <laughs> That's why I pulled out the next captain, so I thought in between yeah. he should be able to get that. Thanks, Gav. It's like yeah. 15 <laughs> balls to get yeah. off the mark, but at last he's trouble the scorers. Free hit there. I love it. <laughs> now, Bob, you can, you can end it on, a, on another point, which, uh, which Victorian fast bowler said this to Graham Gooch? Would you like me to bowl a piano and see if you can play that? Oh, you know, I actually have heard this. Um, I do know the sledge. Well, I did know the sledge, and uh, I'm going to have to pass on to my co-panelists. Should I have a guess? I'll have a guess. Yes. I'll have a guess. It was... Uh, I have no idea. Good guess. Anyone else? Merv. Merv Hughes. Big Indeed. Merv. So that's... that's a- and you, and you, you redacted that pretty well, because it was, shall I bowl you and... Effing piano, you effing pommy puffter, wasn't it? Or something yeah, along those most lines. Most of these sledges, there's a fair few words <laughs> left out. Uh, as I said, I don't want to break iTunes. So that's the sledging quiz for this week. I'm not sure how many more sledges I can find. Drew was the star with four. Gavin Bob, you each got one each. Excellent work with the sledging quiz. Thanks, Gav. You're welcome. Now let's have a look at the T20 series over in Sri Lanka. Australia facing the Sri Lankans in Palakeli and Colombo in two exciting matches in prospect. The only thing that is a problem for Australia is most of our first 11s back here uh, with the players resting. And then yesterday, Aaron Finch and Chris Lynn were both ruled out of the series. Matty Wade and George Bailing are staying on to replace them. What do you guys think? Do you think Australia will be dominant in this series or it's going to be hard for a second string side? Well, it, one thing we have to you know, talk about is there is no term as second string anymore. This is just what's going to happen in modern day cricket. When you're going to have a test tour, a one day tour and a T20, you're not going to have players that are going to play across all three different formats. I, guess I, I, I agree the... with you, Gab, but my, my thing is if it was a World Cup, then yeah, it would probably be eight or nine different players absolutely. in there. So you have to call it what it is, yeah, which absolutely. is not our best and, side. And, and you, well, Chris Lynn's out of the tournament. But Chris Lynn, basically, just after the World T20, was said he was so disappointed he was not picked because he was amongst the first person that had his name put down on that list in those three T20 matches against India last summer. So that raises his hopes. And then suddenly, everyone decides to come back because it's a World Cup and he gets left out, which is totally unfair. Well, I'm really disappointed Chris Lidd. He dislocated his shoulder. He basically got to Sri Lanka, did a warm-up, dislocated his shoulder. Now he's coming home. So that's his tour. But he had been the top run scorer in the Caribbean Premier League and he'd really taken the form that he displayed in the Big Bash over to the CPL. And I was hoping he could replicate that for Australia. But unfortunately, it's not to be. So we're going to see instead David Warner leading a very young and inexperienced side. And what do you guys think of the possibility of David Warner being the full-time T20 skipper? Yeah, well, I mean, you know my thoughts on it. I still wasn't, I wasn't particularly pleased when Finch was um, oh, removed, removed from the job, right? So I like the idea of specialists um, in particular roles that they're, you know, they're, they're very good at. I think Warner's a terrific... Um, he's got the mindset for T20, I really do. So I, I'd be more than happy with that. Does Steve Smith, just a question to everyone, does Steve Smith fit into our best 11 in T20 format? Of course he does. He's one of the best batsmen in the world in every format. No, he's not. His record in T20 well, is not as sublime as uh, uh, some of the other cricketers that we have. No, but he's an amazing T20 player. The, th- the problem with Steve Smith will be his time management. And if, he, if he's going to rest from a lot of T20 games... and Look, this is not just this series, but I want to look ahead 
with with an eye to the T20 series scheduled next year against in, uh, no, it's against Sri Lanka again. I think in Australia, and again, most of our first eleven will be in India preparing for the test. So, the, if mm. if it's going to be a constant case of playing a second string side, maybe someone like Warner would be a better captain so they can have some consistency. I'm with Kiwi Bob. I think Aaron Finch is so unlucky to be sacked out of that you know, captaincy role. It just happened because World T20, suddenly Smith was going to go. And I just think... I think and Kawaja. That's the other thing. Yeah. Kawaja was in breathtaking form and he'd been barnstorming the BBL and they were like, well, you yeah. know, we're going to have to push Finch out, possibly. The, uh, the thing with Warner is he, like Smith, he plays all three formats. So, it, it, again, it could be just putting a little bit too much on his shoulders. He, he'll probably take it on with, with open arms, but I think having a specialist there like Finch was, you know, I, th- I think it was going really well. Australia was the, the, the best team in the world, and, yeah, now they've got some rebuilding to do. You can't captain all three, that's, that's for sure, yeah. and, and I think it's very good that Smith, um, well, he's been sort of taken out of the firing line here, having gone home after two of the one-day internationals, trying to captain all three I mean as you're saying trying to play all three formats is going to be exhausting and then trying to captain as well uh, we saw that you know Warner sort of got into his captaincy as you were saying last week on the on the podcast the first time he uh, was in charge of the team it was I'm just going to play my five bowlers and stick to them rather than trying to do this quirky let's bring someone on for an over and buy a wicket and no don't don't try and do everything left field out of the box but if you're trying to do that in all three formats you're going to be absolutely exhausted I guess the the real focus for this series will be the return of Glenn Maxwell he was left out of the one day side to South Africa so he's still on the outer of the one day side but he remains in the frame for the T20 stuff he's not been in good form in the A cricket that he's been playing in Australia but it is a huge opportunity for him now, being one of the senior members of this side, to really make his mark in, in, on his return to the Aussie team. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. The little, little uh, I guess, sub-battle that will happen between him and Head. Though I'm sure they'll both be in the starting eleven. Um, so it'll be really interesting head to, to head see battle. which of the... Yeah, the, yeah <laughs> very interesting to see which of the two, um, I guess, puts their hand up. I think it should be a, a one-all series. That's my prediction. You know, these two match series, you know, they'll probably each take one and uh, that'll be it. Who's going to open with Warner? Kawaja. It, it, we will definitely be Kawaja. Warner even Kawaja. though he's... Yeah. Wade might be an outside Wade, chance. Wade at three, maybe, yeah. Yeah, um, when F- Finch pinged his finger in the, in the slips in the fifth one-day international, they sent Wade in as a pinch hitter and it didn't quite work, even though Sri Lanka opened with with spinners and I was thinking well if Kavaja isn't uh, a dead set pick now um, who are they going to open with or yeah. are they forced to start with, with Kavaja I'd oh. love to see Kavaja play himself back into form because yeah, me too. Uh, BBL last year he was just I, I could have watched him all day absolutely wonderful at the moment you're thinking well the poor guy can't buy a run are they going to go for a pinch hitter mm. I don't think there's enough uh, they're, they're struggling to make a team aren't they now with all the players that have come home and all Darren all Lehman might be out there batting <laughs> in the second game yeah. if someone gets injured um, so, I, mean, I, I reckon they should give Travis Head a go I reckon he should opening yeah I think that I mean we've got Glenn Maxwell in the middle so might as well bat Travis Head up the top see what he can do against a new ball or Maxi opening. Yeah, exactly. That's another one. Um, I mean, Maddie Wade's only in the squad to as an injury replacement. So they were going to go with mm. Peter Neville. Does that mean Neville's behind the stumps and Wade's going to play as a specialist batsman? I think that's what's going to happen. Well, that's the T20 series. Two matches this week to round out 
the Sri Lankan tour. I'm pretty happy that my sleep patterns are going to return back to a semblance of some normal sleep because uh, these late nights have been killing me. Now let's move on now to the commentator critique. This is the segment taking the cricket world by storm. All the commentators are on the edge of their seats waiting to hear the criticism that is going to come forth. And last night I was on Twitter and I managed to get it I managed to get on to uh, Bumble, David Lloyd, and ask him who his favourite commentators were. And he did answer. And he said, uh, of his commentators that are alive, Bill Laurie is his favourite commentator. And all time is the late, great Tony Cozier. Uh, pretty mm. good choices from David Lloyd. I'm surprised Laurie's his favourite. I mean, yeah. I mean, Bill Laurie, he, he'll make the top three of most people who have listened to Bill Laurie commentate. It's just, regardless which test match it is around the world. The first voice you want to hear is Bill Laurie. Simple as that. Well, let's get on to the lineup this week. Now, because Drew's visiting, we've, I've, I've picked five pommies for the commentator critique this week. And let's start with the, what, what I think is the quintessential voice of English cricket on the radio. I'm talking of Henry Blofeld. I think he's one of the most distinctive voices in world cricket. And I actually think Henry Blofeld, you know, really good radio commentator. What do you guys think? Yeah, absolutely. Like he, he's um, he's a throwback to to a time gone by, isn't he? He's, he's sort of a link to the to the past in the way that he he's just so verbose in the way that he, he takes the time to explain and paint the picture for you, and you really get a sense of, of the ground. And, and for me, it brings back just even thinking of Blofeld brings back really good memories. I used to lie in, uh, in bed listening to BBC Five Live um, before they geo blocked it. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Um, yes. But uh, <laughs> but listening to to Blofeld and, and English cricket and uh, yeah, I, I've got. I, I love him. I, I think he's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, you nailed it on the head. It's the link for the young people to listen to what cricket commentary was like. And he could do TV and radio as well. He was so good. He's still continuing at the moment, which I probably feel is not the right thing because he gets confused with the players. Uh, I mean, I'll let you know, sort of Drew finish that off. That's the thing. He is a link to the past and he does paint a beautiful soundscape and when you're listening on the radio he will whisk you away and it is going back to a bygone age exactly exactly my my dear old thing it's exactly that menace and and the problem is that um uh, and and oh oh it's it's yes it's been taken in 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 the slips by 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 uh, by strice and then someone in the background says strauss isn't playing anymore it's oh it's it's yes it's not strice it's 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 the new fella Cook, who's been there for about five years, and and the bowlers, the um, the the, the right arm fast medium fella. Yes, we've only got four of those. Can you give us which one it is? And as you say, Cav, it's, it may be, you know, you don't want to play one game too many. Yes, Wait, you're, you're insinuating that Blofeld has. Yes. Now let's talk about someone that definitely didn't play one game too many. Actually, <laughs> mid tour. I'm talking of Graham Swan. Now, Swanee has made the transition to broadcasting. I have to say, he just annoys me. There's something about his commentary that I find annoying. I don't know what it is. I can't put my finger on it. But amidst all the English commentators, he's one that I really don't like listening to. Yeah, I was very similar to you, you know. Like, I was a bit concerned whether he'd be able to lift the mic to his his mouth, given his his elbow pain, but... Um, at, like at, at first, I was I was very similar to you, and I think that I was looking for a reason to dislike Graham Swan's commentary, especially when he first came on. He he came across as a little smug and a bit of a know-it-all kind of thing, and. Mm. 
but I've actually warmed to him over the time. Um, I actually now find him quite humorous, and and I, I like that he's you know if Blofeld was a link to the past, Swan is is a is a direct connection to the to the current, and the way that he talks about the the current dressing room with Cookie and Jimmy Anderson and guys like that, um, I find really fascinating. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and a commentary team needs that. They need someone who's been in that dressing room only in the recent times, a year ago, two years ago, understand about the mannerisms and mm. whatever there is about players. But I, I just think, yes, Monty, I think he just tries a little bit too hard. It, exactly. He is a very good analyst of the game. And he's a very good, in particular, spin bowling as well. Mm. Uh, he absolutely hates anyone. Anyone who's ever bowled a Dusra should be banned for life. Uh, they're yeah. chuckers, all of them. Yeah, it's, it's as simple as that. He's really funny yeah. as well. Well, he started off as he was doing the Ashes tour diary, and he is the kind of person who was all Instagram, Twitter, follow, subscribe to my YouTube tour diaries. He's 10 years older than the people that he's trying to cater to, but, you know, he's down with the kids. And Mm -hmm. every time he's on the mic, he thinks he's got to um, imitate Mushy uh, or he's got to imitate Mikey Holding or he's got to imitate Jimmy Anderson and tries a little bit too hard, as you said, Gav. If he, he is a great analyst of the game, but at the moment he's trying to be all things to all men and all youngsters and all teenagers. Now, to another mm. smug prick that I actually like, we've got the ex-English captain, Michael Vaughan. I think he does come across as being a bit smug and a bit like Swan does think he's really funny. But uh, you do get a lot of very good insights from Vaughan. Talking about English cricket, you might be able to answer this, but he, is he the closest to what Mike Brewery would have been, like Michael Vaughan, in terms of how he sort of tells us about the mindset of a team or a captain out there? He does that very well he's a cross between he's a poor man's Mike Brearley because Mike Brearley is this cerebral ivory tower intellectual and if you try to read his art of captaincy it's a wonderful read but by God, it's a tough one. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not... Welcome um, to the English Cricket Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you pick the commentator. You pick the commentator. But yes, we are now talking about Greeley. Bob, what do you think of Michael Vaughan? Uh, I think he's, he's very smart. You know, he's very clever. He's fiercely intelligent. But he has a way of, of I think, explaining things to the common man that, that I... That I really enjoy, right? Because I can get quite a lot out of it. Yeah, and you I'm are a, the common man. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Gav, what do you think of Vaughn? You like his stuff? Yeah, I do. Uh, I really appreciate him. Radio, he does it fantastic. He does Channel Nine here. Uh, it, as it's, it's just the simplest way. Mental side of the game. We hear commentators talk about it. What is the mental side? Michael Vaughn is somebody who put it out there in layman's terms that everybody can understand. Drew, you want to add anything to Vaughn? I'm slightly coloured by the fact that I don't particularly like his writing because a lot of his writing starts off with uh, things along the lines of, is it just me or... And then he goes and comes out with something that's uh, shock value. Um, Jonathan Trop shouldn't well, have gone Don't read his Twitter feed, because his Twitter feed exactly, is exactly. absolute bullshit. It I mean. is, it is. Um, and that I had to, because I was thinking, it's a commentator critique that we're doing. Put that to one side. As a commentator, he's very, very good. Now, this is a bloke that I wouldn't mind having a drink and a, a, a pint with at the pub and having a chat. Is the old Phil Tufnell. Now, he's someone that really appeals to me as a commentator because I just feel like he's really natural and you're really getting unfiltered Phil Tufnell. It's exactly the same person you'd meet at the pub and he's very insightful, Very knows a lot about spin bowling, but just knows a lot about cricket. You can tell he's an absolute... 
cricket tragic and really entertaining to listen to. He, he has stories and he's, he's got that sort of pub talk. You know, it's just like you're at the pub with him. Yeah, he's a bit of a character, isn't he? He's, he's, the, uh, he's the Aussie Larrikin equivalent, I suppose, on the, on the list. Uh, my note here says, not sure what he's doing. And I think that uh, kind, of, kind of sums it up quite well. I think he's just sort of woken up and thought, I'll do a bit of commentary today. It's almost that. Um, I'm not sure what he's doing, he's saying, Bob. Uh, he does, and you said uh, he's a bit of an Aussie Larrikin type person. Uh, he does the Tuffers and Vaughan show, yeah. which, uh, when I see that, makes me think of Fitzy and Whipper and Matey and Nicknamey, all these sort of Aussie <laughs> duos doing their radio from six till nine and they do the Tuffers and Vaughan show and you've got Vaughan coming on going is it just me or has Alistair Cook got it all wrong and then Tuffers going oh I don't know mate oh it's oh yeah and Tuffers on that show is a bit he plays it up um I'm, I'm not very clever really you know and that is a bit that can be a little bit grating but mm. again like Graham Swan he will talk about spin bowling until the cows come home yeah. and it's all very clever stuff and you think you, you're coming across as this I just like a pint I just like a fag oh god blimey I only ever made six runs in my entire career they'd have batted me at number 12 if they could ha 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 but when he actually gets on as a commentator yes he's got some good insights do you think he commentates sober very often or <laughs> never knowingly sober yes exactly <laughs> Now to round out the commentary critique with uh, one of the real current voices of the BBC, and that is, of course, of Jonathan Agnew. Universally liked, I've got to say, about Agnew. He's, he's one of the, the iconic voices of our time. He seems to be calling some of the most historic moments in world cricket and uh, I think Agnew is a really good commentator. Yeah, absolutely. A terrific radio caller. Him, I think he's the Jim Maxwell of English cricket, especially in the last yeah. 25, 30 years. Uh, and it doesn't matter what the match situation is. Agus just keeps his cool. He's so descriptive. And the, he's got that soft sort of voice that you just want to keep listening to. I didn't realise he had a test career, but he actually did play test cricket for England. He was uh, a nondescript bowler in the 80s. I mean, he made the, the test team, yes, and he will be quite self-deprecating about it. Uh, I mean, we went through so many bowlers in the 80s and 90s and those famous Ashes tours when we've had 29 players and Australia only needed 12 or 13. But then he's one of the previous generation where the BBC said look if you want to be a journalist go and train and they trained him as opposed to you're a former captain and it's the same with Australian cricketers now it's you are you've retired you are a de facto commentator straight away whereas he learnt his trade and you can see that now in that he does it with real quality and the the Steve War moment that was mentioned a couple of podcasts ago when he was uh, on 98 on the last ball of the day and hit a four he called that for the BBC and did it beautifully well you're saying Gabby's got this soft voice I love his call at the World T20 final recently when Brathwaite hit those I didn't hear that one can you play it again oh didn't you hear the loop on the last show you were on yes I did I also think Agnew's a great interviewer when he interviews and he brings in a lot of people from different he's learnt his trade from different fields and, and that's something we probably have lacking going ahead we don't see many of the cricketers who are actually trained to do the not the expert role but the caller role and the caller role is so crucial and abc is one of the the commentator i mean that's where a lot of the commentators have from the likes of jim maxwell and quinton hull and some of the drew morfitts and so forth we just don't have anyone emerging uh, i'm not sure in english cricket podcasters 
emerging sorry. a few up-and-coming podcasters <laughs> i'll, I'll do lead you two guys do color and but yes it's exactly that you need a lead commentator and then the color can be jeffrey boycott it can yeah. be tuffers it can yeah. be vaughney it can be tubby slats heels etc etc exactly uh, but you need someone who's learned the trade to be the lead yeah. commentator so eggers is, is absolutely perfect for you take a single get down the other end and bring the bring the main guy on strike Excellent analogy, Bob. And what a way to round out our commentary critique this week. Now, we're going to take a break in a moment. If you want to get in touch with the Australian Cricket Podcast, we're on Gmail, auscricketpod, auscricketpod at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at auscricketpod, auscricketpod. We're on Facebook as the Australian Cricket Podcast. You can listen to the show on almost every app available for podcasts. And please take a moment out of your day and leave a review for the Australian Cricket Podcast. We'd love to get your feedback. And we're going to be back with the read and react segment to end the show. But I'm going to play now one of the absolute most classic bits of BBC commentary. It was Friday the 9th of August in 1991. It was the close of play in a test versus the West Indies. Brian Johnston and Jonathan Agnew were wrapping up the day's play and have a listen to what happened next. Both of the end out most extraordinary way. He knew, this is the tragic thing about it, he knew exactly what was going to happen. He tried to step over the stumps and just flicked a bail with his, with his right hand. He and tried to do the splits over it and unfortunately uh, the inner part of his side must have just removed the bail. He just didn't quite get his leg over. Anyhow, he, he did very well indeed, batting 131 minutes and hit three fours. And um, then we had Lewis playing extremely well for his 47 not out. Agus, do stop it. Uh, <laughs> And he was joined by De Freitas, who um, was in for 40 minutes, a useful little partnership there. Uh, they put on 35 in 40 minutes, and then he was caught by Dujard Walsh. Um, Lawrence, uh, always entertaining, batted for 30, 35. <laughs> 35 minutes, hit a four over the week keepers. Angus, <laughs> for goodness sake, stop it. Hit a four. Yes, Lawrence, that has played me well. He hit a four over the wee keeper's head, and he was out for the eye. A batted for 12 minutes, and then was caught by Haynes on Patterson for two, and there were 54 extras, and England were all out for 419. I've stopped laughing now. Welcome back to the Australian Cricket Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Menzel, a.k.a. Menners. I'm joined by Drew and Bob, and Gav is half here. Uh, he's half on his phone, he's half here. Welcome back to the show. We're going to end this show with the segment Read and React, where we dissect some of the media from cricket in the last week. And this, is, this read and react is bordering on a debate about the, the merits of a good or bad one-day game. And let's start off with what John Etheridge, the lead writer of The Sun, wrote about England breaking the world record for the highest ever score in one-day cricket. England made three for 444. But this is what John Etheridge wrote after that. It was brutal, ruthless bullying of this hapless Pakistan team. Miss hits flew into the crowd for six. Good deliveries were dispatched for four. The carnage was so extreme that it took on a curiously predictable, unemotional tone. There is only so much excitement watching 16 sixes and 43 fours in a space of 50 overs, but the crowd loved it. Dot, dot, dot. Now, this is John Etheridge's reaction to that 
record-breaking innings. Only an English rider can be moaning after his side has broken the record. I mean, am I, am I misreading this? Well, he writes for The Sun as well, which you don't really have an equivalent of The Sun in Australia. So it's the equivalent of being the lead cricket writer for TV Weekly or something like that. He is, however, a very good journalist. So the fact that he's, he's almost going against the grain because The Sun is sensationalism. The Sun mm. is topless ladies on page three and then it's um, soccer, 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 Wayne Rooney, uh, horse racing and then the cricket and he's going, there were 43 fours and 16 sixes but isn't that boring? But how, how, what a reaction though. I mean, if Australia had scored 444, I don't think I'd be complaining that it was uh, you know, predictable. I mean, how can it be predictable when it's never happened before? Well, it's, it's sort of unpredictable in a way because England is not, not known for sco- exactly. having, having big scores. So I just don't understand it. I mean, am I, do I like the concept? No, I don't like it. Um, but it's suddenly... This is where I think... So what concept? Of having a high-scoring one-day matches. Now, that's suddenly started to emerge through English cricket over the past two years. Ever since the 2015 World Cup debacle, yep. the English pitches have gone flat. We always know the grounds are quite short. The ball keeps disappearing. And suddenly they feel that's the way to sort of be competing against world cricket, have a lot of power hitting. I'm not sure that's the right way. I think they're five years behind world cricket in that sort of way uh, looking ahead. But look, 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 compare it to the one-day series we've seen in Sri Lanka. Now, they were lower-scoring affairs, but they were equal. They were very exciting games. It didn't need either side to score 300-plus to make it a good contest. And it's interesting, Warner's reaction about the series in Sri Lanka is, we, this is what Warner said, we are about growing the game, and in one day in T20 cricket, you like to see more of a contest where you see teams scoring over 300 runs and chasing them down. Sitting back last night and watching England score 400 and we are busting our backs off to score 200, it is probably not ideal for people coming out to watch that kind of cricket. So what is the right balance? We've got one of the world's best players saying they want to score, they want to play on easier wickets and we've got commentators saying it's, it's mundane and boring. I think if, you, if you, sit, you get sports fans in a room from, for any sport, uh, anywhere in the world, they're all really going to come, come down and tell you the same thing, which is they just want to see a good contest. They want to see a good game. They want to see a competitive game with two sides. Uh, well, you don't know who's going to win until, you know, towards the end, and it's a, it's a hard-fought scrap. And so my issue with, you know, these flat tracks and scoring 400-plus in the first innings is game's over at halftime. That's my problem with it. Interesting that, that Warner would say, you know, we want to be scoring 300-plus. Well, yeah, he's a batsman. He's going to say that, right? So... Um, I think the main thing is you, 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 the, the, the cricket field is round. Uh, it's 360 degrees. And if batters can't hit uh, straight down the ground, if they can't play in the V because the pitch is too slow, um, that's a problem. So I'd like to be able to see uh, there's got to be a happy middle ground there. There's something in it for the bowlers early on uh, and the batters can play their shots. Of all the World Cups which happened in the last 15 years, which have been your favourite... Predominantly, most people would say the 99 World Cup. Yeah, because lower scoring, yeah, bowlers it came it into the game. Yeah, it wasn't just lower scoring, man. You I were was still, there. You were still getting 275, 270, which is ideal, mm. isn't it? Yeah, you get, a, you get a really tight tussle then when it's not too out of the way. One thing that I agree with Etheridge about his the blasé nature where you have all these boundaries, if you're watching a game and the side is just hitting boundaries and sixes, sometimes it can lose its... Uh, powerful powerfulness 
Whereas yeah. when you're watching a test match and a batsman's been working hard for half an hour and then all of a sudden opens up with a beautiful cover drive, that can be worth as what, you know, 10 or 20 boundaries in a, a one-day game. So I kind of see Etheridge's comment, but it's just so English after you've broken the world record to have that sort of dig at the, yeah. the achievement. Well, um, by the same token, Warner mentioned this after the fourth one-day international, which is when Australia made 108.1 overs. And the first over was a maiden as well. So they yeah. sort of got a sighter and then got 107 overs. So they were going at 14 and over. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, David Warner says developing the game. Now, if, you've, if you're taking a, a young kid along to the game and you just see, you know, batsmen hitting 60 boundaries or 26s, would that kid really want to, in terms of development, would we ever want to be a bowler? No. So we're just going to have everyone who wants to be a batsman, don't we? Well, I think that's a good way to uh, wrap up the read and react for this week. Uh, guys, thanks for coming in for the podcast this week. Next week on Read and React listeners, we're going to have it to, to listen and react. We're actually going to be uh, reviewing the interview that Mark Howard did with Adam Gilchrist on his podcast, The Howard Game. So if you want to listen to that interview in the next week in preparation for the show... We have a special guest panellist coming in and we're going to review that interview with Gilly. We're also going to review the T20 series. We've got a lot of news to get through and that's going to be the Australian Cricket Podcast next week. Drew, thanks for coming into the show all the way from uh, Europe for the show. You certainly travel farther than any panellist. Exactly. I'll um, as long as you pay my airfares, I'll I'll come. I'll come any he, week, every week. Are you just week. cut out there? <laughs> is he there? Is he going to be a regular when the Ashes will be on, Menace? I, I would certainly hope so. Please, please, Mr. Menace, uh, Mr. Andrew Gav, Mensel. <laughs> Gav, thanks for coming in. Enjoy no the. Uh, you're going up north for the Australia A series, the the four day games. Is it two four day games? Yes, absolutely. So. Will you be commentating? Maybe. I'll let you know. Well, I'll be listening out for some more clangers. And Bob, <laughs> Bob, welcome back to the show. Mr. Popular, uh, you know, universally liked amongst all listeners. Thanks for coming on. It's been a real privilege for the listeners to hear your dulcet tones. He is. I'd forgotten that. He's Housewife's Choice, isn't he? He's he the, he the aggers, so, the soft know, listeners, voice. The reason the, I say it is Bob gets so embarrassed. Right He's so embarrassed by the, the praise lauded on him. But thanks for coming in, Bob. Thanks for having us. It's been, it's been fun, guys. And listeners, we'll be back next week with another podcast. What a marvellous stroke. He's played no better shot than that in the whole of the series. Sports Social Podcast Network. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.